Hey, what's up? This is Elijah Beers, the Associate Youth Pastor of Impact Youth Ministries. Welcome to the Impact Podcast. We pray that this message will help you to live God's Word, love like Jesus, and be led by the Holy Spirit every single day. Let's go ahead and get into this week's sermon. Amen. Luke chapter 18, are you ready? 18. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 18. 18, we're going to begin reading here in verse number nine. It reads, and Jesus spoke this parable to some who were trusted, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men, Jesus said, went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this tax collector, I, or even as bad as this tax collector, verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And verse 13, and the tax collector standing from a distance would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's found in your word. God, we pray that this word would grow, edify, and mature the young people that are here to hear it tonight, God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. Lessons I've learned from a tax collector and... uh, I'm a, at heart, I thoroughly enjoy teaching Sunday school. As a matter of fact, I've told my wife before, if I didn't have the job I have, I would love to be a college professor. I would love to teach. Um, it's just, I, um, you know, I'm not a teacher. So, but I, I, I love to teach. And so I wanna teach you some lessons that I feel like, I wanna remind you of some lessons I feel like that Jesus taught because after all, Jesus taught a lot in parables, right? These are stories. And Jesus was the greatest teacher, in my opinion, ever to walk the face of this planet. And I'm not talking necessarily from a spiritual sense because Jesus is the greatest at everything. I mean, fundamentally, there have been some incredible uh, sociologists and thought process and thought people, thinkers, if you will, that have walked on this planet, Jesus among them. Yes, he was God, but I truly believe that Jesus is one of the greatest teachers ever to walk on this planet as a man. He taught in such a way that, that there was simplicity to it. There was, uh, and he often, one of the ways he did that was parables. He took a complex topic. He took a difficult thing to understand. And he oftentimes would tell it in the sense of a story to where you'd be left sitting there. And maybe you didn't have anything verbally to say, like, ooh, that's good Jesus or something like that. But you would have those nonverbal cues like, yeah, I get it. And so that's what I endeavor to do tonight. I wanna teach you a few lessons that Jesus taught when he told this parable of a tax collector. So it starts off, first of all, saying there were two men. These are two similar men in a sense that they were going to the same place at the same time to do the same thing, right? There was no differences necessarily in the objection or the destination of these men. The Bible says two men went to the temple to pray. 
And he goes on to say, one was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. So before I go any further, I want to let you know that these were the two men that went to the same destination. They had the same goal in mind, but then the story tar- starts to take a much different turn um, because they both experienced two different outcomes. So the question isn't, and this is the one first lesson I want you to understand. The, 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 the thing that you need to understand isn't, that there were differences in necessarily where they were going, differences in their goals, went to the temple to pray. They both had the same goal in mind, yet they experienced different outcomes. So the question you have to ask yourself is, why did they experience different outcomes? If they were going to the same place with the same goal in mind, what happened when they got there What happened when they got there that changed the outcome of what they went? Because if you fast forward through the end of the passage, the Bible says this man went to his house justified rather than the other. And the answer to that question is in the approach. The answer to the question isn't the fact that they were both going to church. The answer to the question isn't the fact that they were both seeking the same God. How many of y'all came to church seeking a different God than I'm seeking tonight? Just curious, it's what I thought. We all came to church tonight with a similar goal in mind, with a similar objective. That is to have an encounter with God. But why would one leave not having had said encounter and another one would leave having a touch from God? The difference, my friend, is in the approach. It matters, lesson number one, matters how you approach God. It matters how you approach God. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. And the very first thing he did when he approached his father, the very first thing he said to his father, he said, Father, give me my inheritance. That was the attitude of the prodigal son when he approached his father, give me my inheritance. And the father obliged and gave him the inheritance. But you fast forward this Prodigal son, the Bible says, spent all that he had, all of his inheritance on riotous living, on the party life, on the crazy scene. But then in the middle of a pig pen, he's eating the slop from the pig. And what does he say to himself? He said, why in the world am I doing here in this pig pen with hardly anything to eat when at my father's house, there is an abundance for me. Let me rise up. Let me go back to my father. And then he comes running to his father. His father wants to reconcile him. Listen to the heart change of the prodigal son. He went from give me my inheritance. And he said this to his father when he came back, make me as one of your hired servants. When you and I get to the point in our approach to God, when it's not about God, what can you give me in your presence? God, what can you do? How can you shout me? How many people are gonna run the aisle? How many people are gonna speak in tongues? How great of a Sunday night service are we gonna have? How awesome is this service gonna be? When you get that mindset out of your thinking thought process, and it's not about God, give me, but it's about God, make me as one of your servants. God, make me walk in your precepts. Make me walk according 
according to your will. When you approach God from a different angle, not what can I get from God, but God, what can I do for you? What can I do for your kingdom? Because I'll remind you, friend, Jesus left nothing undone on the cross. He left nothing undone on Calvary. There is nothing left for him to do. There is nothing left for him to give you. He has given you eternal life. He has given you freedom. He has given you reconciliation. He has given you healing. He has given you hope. He has given you grace. He has given you mercy. Why? Because he's good and he chose to. Because he's a good father who desires to give good gifts to his children. So we ought not go to God and say, God, give me more. Give me more. Because he already emptied out the treasure chest of heaven and gave us his son, Jesus Christ. And he hung there, suspended between heaven and earth, forgiving and redeeming all of mankind. So the question isn't, God, give me. It is, God, make me something for your kingdom. Make me something for your glory. Make me something for your righteousness. Hallelujah. Your approach matters. One of these men was a tax collector, a despised man, a hated man. This was a man who was Jewish, living among the other Jews, but working for the Romans. Let me give it to you a different way. This is the equivalent of Russia invading the United States of America and then going back to Russia, but yet leaving Morgan as an American and designating her as a tax collector. And she comes knocking on your door, taking your American dollar so she could ship it back to Russia to make Russia better, to make Russia greater, to make Russia more, more prosperous. All the while you look at her and say, are you American or are you Russian? And because of that, they looked at her, we would look at her as a traitor, someone we, did, we do despise, someone we couldn't stand, and that was the tax collector. This was a man that the Jews, although he was a Jew, they hated him because he represented the oppression of Rome. He represented the thumb that Rome had down on Israel at the time. They hated him. But yet this man walked away justified. Lesson number two, it matters very little what you are when you approach God. If you didn't catch it, let me say it again. It matters very little what you are when you approach God. It matters more what you are after your encounter with him. But it matters very little what you are at the moment you approach God. Let me give you a few examples. In the Bible, there was a man by the name of Jacob. He was a twin to his brother Esau. And from the very beginning of his birth, he was trying to cheat and connive and steal the birthright from his brother. So his mother named him Jacob, which literally means cheater, liar, deceiver, thief. That's what the name of Jacob means. But Jacob had something that Esau didn't have. Esau might've had a birthright, but Jacob had a desire for it. Jacob had a desire for the birthright. Later on, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 28, Jacob is having an encounter with God. The Bible says the heavens opened up and he saw the ladder ascending and descending and he had an encounter with God. Four verses later in chapter 32, Jacob is on the other side of the brook and a man shows up later to be identified as an angel or Jesus Christ showed up and began to wrestle. He had an encounter with Jacob and Jacob says these words, I will not let you go until you bless me. 
And he wrestled with this Jesus all day long, all night long. And finally, what was said to Jacob is, what is your name? Go back and read it, Genesis chapter 32. Some speculate it was Jesus. Some say it was an angel of the Lord. Whoever it was, asked Jacob this question, what is your name? Now, we all know that God is omniscient and all-knowing. Why would he have to ask Jacob his name? He wanted Jacob to remind himself the label that the world had put on him. I'm a liar. I'm saying I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm a gossip. I'm a sinner. I'm a down and out. I'm a low down, good for nothing scoundrel. I am nobody. I am nothing. And then the angel spoke up and said, you will no longer be called liar. You will no longer be called cheater. You will no longer be called stealer because I'm in the name changing business. And it doesn't matter what label this world has put on you. It doesn't matter what label your friends have put on you, what your teachers, what your unsafe family and friends have put on you. God is in the name changing business. After all, we have been adopted. So God changed the name of Jacob and said, you'll be called Israel, friend of God. What about Saul? Who God changed his name to what? Saul was a persecutor of Christians, a murderer of you, despised and hated you because you love Jesus. But one day, on the road to Damascus, he got knocked off his spiritual high horse and he had an encounter with Jesus said, Paul or Saul, Saul, right? Saying that name again, Saul, why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting? And he later had an encounter with this man called Jesus and he changed his name to Paul, which means the humble one. This was one who had so much pride as his upbringing as a Pharisee and a Sadducee, the religious elite, the one who knew and memorized all the scripture, had all the church stuff memorized, knew all the things he had to do to check the boxes off as a good Christian little boy. But yet God changed his name and said, I don't care what you know, but do you know me? And God changed his name to humble. What about Abram? Abram had no hope. No future. Back then, he had no children. And in Bible days, that's a dire, dire situation to be in. Because if you die without children, you die without a future. You die without hope. You die without, that's what it meant back then, right? It carried on your name. That, that was the future. And Abram was in a situation where he had no heir. He had no next in line. But God showed up and said, I know what this world's labeled you, Abram. I know what this world has called you. I know this world has said you have no future. I know this world has said because of your past, you have no hope, but I'm changing your name to a father of many nations. I'm gonna give you a hope. I'm gonna give you a future. And that future is not just in your son that I will bless you with, but that future is for generation after generation after generation after generation after generation. And some 7,000 years later, we're gonna talk about Father Abraham and many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord that God is a God of future, that God is a God of hope. And when this world says you have no hope and when this world says 
says you have no future because you gave up and you had sex before marriage. Maybe you smoked a joint at one time in your life. Maybe you went to a party and got a little bit drunk. I want you to know tonight that God will show up and give you a future in Jesus' name. I'm going to preach. I don't care how many are here. You need to understand that God can make something out of nothing. God can make a yes out of a no. God can make hope out of hopelessness. God can make faith out of fear. Glory to God. God can change that label. Don't accept that label. Don't accept what that devil says about you. Don't accept what that unsafe family member says about you. Don't accept what that devil's trying to tell you about your future. For God knows the plans he has for you. Thoughts of hope, thoughts of a future, thoughts to give you an expected end. Glory to God. It matters very little what you are when you approach God. This tax collector went justified, went away justified. An encounter with God, number three, brought about a desire and obedience. You see, in Genesis chapter 32, when Jacob had this experience, he said, I won't let you go until you bless me, did he not? You see, you and I have a Jacob and Esau decision to make. Will you despise it or will you desire it? Because the word of God says, this is the word from the Lord. This is what God spoke through a prophet. I believe it was Malachi. He said, for Jacob have I loved, yet Esau I have hated. Those are strong words coming from a prophet. The goddess, he's saying God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. It wasn't that God hated Esau. If you look into the translation of this, literally, it means God hated Esau's mindset towards the birthright because Esau despised the birthright to the point where he was willing to sell it out to give it up for a little bit to drink and a little bit to eat when he was famished. But yet Jacob, although it wasn't his to begin with, come on, I'm talking to somebody. It's not yours to begin with. We're all Gentiles here. We are not Jews. We are not God's chosen people. We are not God's anointed generation. We are, are his peculiar nation necessarily. We are not God's chosen people. We are not descendants necessarily of a Jewish Abraham, but we are Gentiles because of Jesus Christ. We get something that was originally not intended for us. Come on. It wasn't ours to begin with but because Jesus Christ showed up on the scene what wasn't yours what wasn't mine what wasn't meant for me what wasn't meant for you it now becomes my inheritance now becomes your birthright but friend you've got to be like Jacob and have a desire for that thing come on there's a world out there that despises sanctified living there's a world out there that despises Holy Ghost living there's a world out there that despises the word of God but I'm looking for a group of young people that are hungry for the power who are hungry for the presence of God that'll have a desire for the things of God and say this world may not want it but I want it this world may not want what God has to offer but by God I want his Holy Ghost I won't let go of you God until you bless me I won't let go 
Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Matthew chapter six, verse 33 says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Don't make God an afterthought. Somebody listen to me tonight. Don't make the Lord an afterthought in your life. Don't make the Lord an afterthought in your life. An encounter with the Lord brought about desire. When you have an experience with God, young people, you have two choices, desire it or despise it. If you're not desiring it, Number, I, don't th- I think it's four, I don't know. There is nothing inherently good about me that God wants. He just wants me. There's nothing this tax collector offered Jesus. There's nothing this Pharisee offered Jesus. Jesus just wanted them. You remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to be one of your disciples? What did Jesus say? Sell everything that you have. In other words, Jesus is saying, there is nothing that you have that I want. There is nothing that you have that I need. Go sell everything you have and then you follow me. Jesus is saying, I don't want your wealth. I don't want your riches. I don't want your education. I want you. That's the lesson I learned from the tax collector. Is there's nothing good in me. That Pharisee went to Jesus and said, he went to the temple. I fast twice a week. I give of my tithes. I'm not like that tax collector. I'm good. I'm awesome. I'm wonderful. Look at me. I'm doing you a favor. Holy Ghost, by being in church today. I'm doing this church a favor by showing up on Sunday. I'm doing the church a favor by showing up on Wednesday. God should be grateful that I'm here giving him my musical ability and I'm singing. God should pay me. God should want me. God should use me because there's something about me. Friend, there's nothing about you that God needs. There's nothing about me that God needs. There's nothing about me that he wants except me. The dirty me, the down and out me, the sinful me, the hopeless me, the mistaken me, the one who is faulty and full of failures, that's the me he wants. He doesn't want the spiritual facade fit Christian me. He wants me. He doesn't want the masked up version of me. He wants me. He wants the me that I'm keeping secret from you. Come on now. I talked to somebody who we've never met yet. Come on, I know, I know there's young people in this church tonight that I've never met. Come on, every time you get around me, you get weird. You won't make any eye contact with me. You gotta put on super spiritual teenager. Come on, now. they come, there's, there's Christians in this church I've never met because they come to church with their mask on. They come to church with their fake on. They come to church with their polish on. But friend, I wanna let you know, God wants you without your makeup. He wants you without your polish. He wants you without your talent. He wants you without your ability. God just wants you. 
The Pharisee represents all those who come to God on the basis of their own merit. That's good. That's what that Pharisee represents. Those who come to church and approach God on the basis of their good. What they do. You see, the risk, the risk here of coming to Jesus with a I'm doing you a favor attitude. Here's the risk. You begin to compare yourself to the works of others. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this one. You begin to compare yourself to the works of other versus the word of God. That's the risk you run. God doesn't want you, your good work. He doesn't want your good works. He doesn't want your perfectly polished Pentecostal praise. He wants you. And when you start comparing your walk with how good somebody else's walk, that's what the Pharisee did. I'm good because I'm not like those idolaters. I'm not like those unjust people. I'm not like that tax collector. I'm not like them, so I'm good. The failure of the Pharisee was comparing his relationship to God based off what the tax collector and the idolater was doing versus what the word of God said he ought to be doing. Friend, if you try to justify and sanctify yourself saying, I'm a good Christian because I'm not smoking dope and drinking cussing like everybody else is, but you got a prideful spirit and a tongue as long as the Titanic. The risk of comparing yourselves to others' works is that you fail to compare yourself to the standards set by God's word. Did you know spiritual activity is not a substitute for sanctification? That's deep. I'll break it down for you. Praying, shimmy shama, hallelujah, is not a substitute for good old-fashioned sanctified Holy Ghost living. Come on. All that stuff may fool your friends. It may fool your family. It may even fool your youth pastor or your pastor. But spiritual activity is not a substitution for a sanctified life. That was good. Number four, five, six, I don't know. Always allow for the divine interruptions of God. John chapter one, verse 39. Jesus' words was come and see. No, Nathaniel's words were come and see. Sorry for that correction. The disciples went and said, we found one. We found the Messiah. He came from Nazareth. and said, what good thing could come out of Nazareth? He said, well, come and see. Come and see. That was an invitation to be interrupted by God at that point in their lives. Jesus walking on the shore of Galilee comes across a couple of fishermen and says, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. At that moment, those disciples had a choice. Am I going to leave flounder flopping on the beach with my net and my boat and allow this interruption to my life, to my routine, to my plan, to what I want out of my future? Am I going to allow that interruption to do something? Come on now. When Jonah got interrupted by God, he was just minding his own business. 
Jesus. And he said, go to Nineveh and preach and tell them they're wicked, they're unjust, they're unrighteous. Repent because God wants a relationship with you. Jonah can run from God. He ran from God. But ultimately, he had to allow for the interruption of God. The interruption from God brought about a national revival. The disciples listening to the come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The disciples yielding to the interruption of the Holy Ghost is what established the early church in Jerusalem. It's why the Holy Ghost fire fell down in Acts chapter 2. It's why tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people were added to the church daily. It's why you and I, some 2,000 years later, are sitting here in Independence, Kentucky, preaching that name that's above every name that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess. Why? Because 12 ordinary men decided to allow their futures, their lives, their plans to be interrupted by God. And I know you look around and see a lot of empty chairs tonight, but I wonder what would happen if 45 young people would yield to the interruption of the Holy Ghost. Your approach to God matters, lastly. So do it humbly. James chapter 4, 6, for God resists the proud, yet gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, yet gives grace to the humble. Your approach to God matters. So do it humbly. Now let me help you. Do not confuse humility with timidity. I see it all the time in young people. I'm helping you, listen to me. I know it's at the end and I, 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 sit, I did what I said I was gonna do. I, I actually did preach really long. But I need you to understand this. Approaching God with humility is not the same as approaching God with timidity. The Bible tells us, Hebrews chapter four, I believe, verse 16, Therefore, let us come. Come on, say it. Therefore, let us come. Come on. How can you come boldly but yet humbly? That's where many Christians, especially young people, get confused. Yes, we are to come to the throne room of God boldly. Why? Because Jesus Christ made it possible. We are to come boldly but with the humility and understanding that if it had not been for Jesus, me and my own righteousness, me and my own will, me and my own goodness would not have enough to approach the throne room of God boldness, with boldness. Because of Jesus Christ, you and I can come boldly into the throne room of grace, but friend, we've gotta come humbly before God, knowing that if it had not been for Jesus, we would never be able to approach that throne room. So your approach matters because that Pharisee came into the temple and the Bible says he prayed to himself. What kind of mess is that? Read it. Go back and read it. And the Pharisee prayed to himself. He told you who his God was. Himself. He prayed to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like that person. I thank you that I'm not like that person who messed up last week. I thank you that I'm not like that person. They don't even rail wear uh, Birkenstocks. Okay, that must be old news. Anyway, come on now. Some, some people, some people would be lying to themselves. They'd be lying to stop the cap. They'd be lying to themselves. Come on now. I thought that was funny. I can be hip. I can kind of be cool. <laughs> Let's all stand tonight. Let's all stand tonight. Come on. 
James 4, 6 says, resist the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know, just a few short verses later in verse 16 in Luke chapter 18, Morgan, there's this interesting story that happens. The children want to come to Jesus, but yet the older adults try to restrict the children to come to Jesus. And Jesus said what? Suffer not these little ones. Give them unrestricted access to me. Let them come to me. Friend, I want you to know tonight that you can approach God with boldness, with unrestricted access. Anything that opposes your approach to God was rolled away on Resurrection Sunday. How many of y'all were here a few Sundays ago, Easter Sunday night when Pastor preached that message? Come on. When that angel sat upon that stone and he rolled that stone away, that stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could get out. We read a few short verses later, him walking through walls, showing up in different cities, hundreds of miles apart within minutes. He was in a glorified body. He wasn't gonna be held back by a stone. Jesus, God, had the stone removed and the angel sit on there so you and I can get access into that tomb to see that he's not there and that he has victory over it all. Unrestricted access is what Jesus Christ gave you. Thank you for listening to the Impact Podcast. We hope that it blessed you as much as it blessed us. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at ImpactYM. We love you. We hope you have a great rest of your day.